0: Welcome to the Fall to Grace podcast, a show dedicated to those who have stumbled, struggled, failed, and fallen, perhaps more than once. Our message offers encouragement, hope, and connection to turn your personal shame and suffering from a fall to grace. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Okay. uh, Good morning, everybody. I don't know if it's going to be morning for you when you're watching or listening to this episode, but it's uh, early morning um, for me, and I'm glad to be here this morning again with you. I want to welcome everyone back to the Fall to Grace podcast. I am very grateful for any of you that, um, or for those of you that are listening and watching. I'm especially grateful for those of you who may have shared this with others, whether it be family, friends, um, associates. It's important for me uh, that I get this message uh, out, and that you know, that's why I'm going through this process. And I'm a rookie, I'm a novice, I'm uh, doing the best I can, and learning as I go. So I'm grateful for uh, patience from those of you that are watching and listening. Um, but I am learning, and I'm grateful for the comments and suggestions that I've received that I've received from family and friends, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue to do this. In my last episode, I discussed um, the idea of first responders and the sacred nature of those that respond and run towards trouble when most of us would run away from trouble. Um, trouble is frightening. Chaos is disturbing and, and scary. And, and that kind of trouble can come in the form of grief, um, from a, the passing of a loved one, or maybe even the anticipated passing of someone that's, you know, dear, near and dear to you. Um, I mention that because um, I recently received news of a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, um, who was a business associate of mine many years ago, um, who um, just found out that he is ill with a very rare disease, and the future for him is unknown. Um, it's frightening for him. It's frightening for his family. Um, and, and for those of us that are his friends and loved ones, it can be frightening for us to even approach that, that difficult arena, to step into that arena, because we don't know what to say. Um, we don't know where to be in that person's life or in that space with them. We don't know how. And it takes Courage. Um, but mostly it takes love. We, we need to find deep wells of love within ourselves um, to be responders for each other. And, and, this, and this podcast, if it's anything, among other things, it, it is a call to action. Um, I, I'm, I'm expressing the need that I've had over the past six or seven years to call myself to action— um, in my own recovery, in my own healing, in my own salvation, in my in my own moving forward, progressing um, and and living my my normal life, my new normal, um, and my goal is to create for myself a simple and uncomplicated life, one in which that I can be devoted to the things that are most important to me, without the distractions of the world that are so that so beset us, that are so that surround us so entirely, and to try to reach out. Uh, the reason I'm main reason I'm doing this podcast is I know there's others that have had trouble, or that face trouble, or that are getting themselves into trouble, or find themselves in the aftermath of having created trouble, and um, and what to do about that for individuals and. F- Friends and family and community and church members, associates, whoever, whoever we are, in whatever groups we find ourselves, or in whatever circles of influence we find ourselves, we have to respond, in my opinion, first with love and some tenderness and kindness and forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a topic that is very sacred and difficult challenging. For those that have struggled and have fallen and failed, we seek forgiveness for ourselves, from ourselves, from others, from God, from our community, from our victims, the people we've hurt, our loved ones that we've broken trust with, and so on. Forgiveness is a topic that I'm going to address in, a, in, an, in an episode uh, of its own, um, in a separate, I, separate uh, episode dealing with just forgiveness. But <clears throat> I want to leave uh, with you uh, right now um, a, 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 a brief video that was made by my daughter, Katie, um, about the idea of forgiveness— um, and I will leave a link in the description of this episode. Uh, the, the The video that I'm describing was produced by the media channel for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a series called His Grace. And in that episode, she discusses um, her, her efforts and what she needed to do in order to find forgiveness... Um, And to be able to forgive me and to move forward and not carry the burden of the shame and and, all of that moving forward. The reason I bring it up is because in that episode, which I hope you will watch, she mentions that she was able to find forgiveness because she was looking for it and because she was working for it. And I think that's very true. And... In addition to forgiveness, which I'm going to address in detail at another time, I believe that in order for us to be first responders, (laughs) we need to be looking for opportunities to serve one another um, and to be sensitive to those opportunities and then to act. act. Um, So in other words, to be looking for those opportunities, looking for the need that we might have um, in our communities and in our families and our associations, and then to to work towards those things. Again, I, I know that it's not easy. Um, it, it's it's scary. Um, while I was, I can't remember specifically, and I apologize in advance for other moments where I'm going to have a lack of or a loss of memory or a lapse in memory, but I have a dear friend from from years and years ago, high school, who lost a a son in a, to a motorcycle accident. And I was afraid to call her. Um, when I found out, I was shocked and stunned and sad, but I was so caught up in my own trouble <clears throat> and in my own shame, um, I, wasn't, I didn't feel capable of reaching out to someone else because I was afraid of what that might feel like or be like And maybe the response I was going to get back wasn't going to be good, and so I feared. And as I've said before, um, one of my favorite quotes is from William Shakespeare, and it's from um, the play Measure for Measure, in which he says, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. And so doubt and fear is a big obstacle to overcome in forgiving one another, but especially as I'm going to be talking about today in being a first responder to respond to the needs of others and then on the other hand being willing to receive the response of others with openness with honesty with authenticity transparency and etc is is challenging and difficult and scary but it's a it's a place we ha- it's an arena we have to enter you know the lions are there <laughs> they're in the they're in the arena um the the difficulty the challenges they they're all in the arena but the difficult, the problem is the, the arena's there and we have to step in and i want to pay a little bit more um show a little more gratitude or express a little more get gratitude towards those that were uh, not only my first responders but have continued to be second and ongoing responders. And I want. that's the point of today's podcast, is um, let's look for opportunities. We all need responders to come to us. <laughs> Sometimes we need to be that responder, to be the person that takes the first step, the person that says, I, I'm sorry, first, or the person that's willing to first say, I, I forgive you and mean it. Um, the person that first reaches out to say, "How can I be of service to you? Do you need anything? How can I show my love and appreciation for you? What do you need, and how can I provide it? Please help me know what I can do and i I say that because that's that, those are some of the gifts and the miracles that have that have occurred in my life, and so I want to talk a little bit about some of my first responders again, maybe in a little more detail. Not because I haven't mentioned them, but because there's more to the story, um, especially when it comes to um, those that have been ongoing responders. I have mentioned that I was very fortunate, I am very fortunate, to have um, family that has stepped up and taken care of me in a myriad of ways. When I was released from jail, as I've said, I had nowhere to go, and my, my oldest brother Mike and his wife Heidi, um, I think uncomfortably and maybe unwillingly at first, uh, were, were, you know, were willing to take me in, but hoping it was maybe not going to last very long. And unfortunately, it, I needed to stay with them for the entire year that I was on probation. Mike and Heidi took me in, they dealt with my, my shame and their own. And the embarrassment of having, you know, I had, uh, I had uh, law enforcement and, and other law enforcement agencies, not just police, but other law enforcement agencies show up at their door, knock on their door, and, you know, declare that they were here to, you know, to speak with me. And, you know, they needed to make sure that I was where I said I was going to be, that I actually was living where I said I was living and to keep track of me. But they had to deal with the shame and embarrassment of, of the neighbor's questions of, you know, why did you have a bunch of police cars outside your place? Why, are, why, do these, why, does this, why is this happening? And why does this seem to be occurring and reoccurring? And I'm, I don't know how difficult that was for Mike and Heidi, but I know that it was difficult. And I'm sure that was embarrassing for them, because they had never done anything to necessitate that, but they had taken me in, and so they had to be partners with me in dealing with my shame and embarrassment. But they offered me uh, a place to live, they took me in, and they took care of me. Now, in my first or second episode, I mentioned that sometimes the worst thing that can happen ends up being the best thing that could ever happen. Well, in the year that I was there, and I'm not saying this is the best thing that could have ever happened, but this is a, you know, positives can come out of a negative. And with the help of the Lord and with the grace of the Lord and the blessings and miracles of the Lord in my life, at least this is my perspective, my faith, even, even in the worst tragedies or difficulties of circumstances, the Lord can turn a, a negative to a positive. And in the year that I was with my brother and s- sister-in-law, um, I helped my brother work on a book that he'd been working on for many, many years. And we went through the transcript, <clears throat> and that's not the word I'm looking for, manuscript, thank you. <clears throat> we worked on the manuscript of that book f- for the entire time I was there. And we went, by it, we went through it sentence by sentence, and we reconstructed some things, and we edited it together, and we had a, a great experience working together. I had never had a chance to spend that much time with my brother, Michael. But uh, in, in the end, uh, we spent a lot of time on the book. And we discovered that he really didn't have one book. He really had two books. Um, he, could, he could publish the first one and have the second one in waiting and continue to work on a third book that he's still to this day working on. But at the end, when he had his first book book published, he wrote in the frontispiece, to my wife Heidi, my children Bridget and Darren, and my grandchildren Austin, Ashley, Madison, Lauren, and Jacqueline, I thank you for your patience, understanding, and support. And then he writes one of the sweetest things that's ever been written, and one of the greatest, kindest, and most gracious uh, compliments I've ever received in my life. He wrote, special thanks to my brother Kevin. Without your help, I would have never completed the task. To me, that was just a sweet reaffirmation to me that by the grace of the miracles and the love and tenderness of what they'd shown me, a really sweet and tender moment um, that we had together working on that book, and then for him to be as gracious as he was to, to write that, was a wonderful blessing and a wonderful result of one of, not the only, but one of the sweetest moments uh, that came out of the year that we were together. I also want to mention my second oldest brother, Richard. He has not only been, and again, I know I've already mentioned him before, and I'm not mentioning this in any particular order or or importance in in, in any way, but he was one of the very first that responded because um, of the proximity. I was arrested in Arizona, and he lives in Arizona, and so he responded with, with aid and with comfort and with reassurance and with – he took action in ways that I could not take action for myself. You know, I, I – he, he is an attorney, but he is not a, a criminal attorney. That's not the kind of law he practices. He's one of the um, foremost um, experts in elder law in the state of Arizona. But he did offer um, someone that he knew – that worked in his firm that could help me. And he said to me, he says, Kevin, he says, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is I have an excellent uh, criminal attorney um, in my firm. He says, the bad news, it happens to be the brother-in-law of your daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so he recommended that uh, we get some help from uh, John Dosdall, who was an attorney in his office, and John and Richard together helped me with the, uh, the initial shock and, and difficulty of going through that process of being arrested and then eventually being extradited back to the state of California. But beyond that, Richard came and visited me in California, and when I, have, when I moved to Arizona, he has continued to reach out and to befriend me and to include me Um. In dinners, or just wanting to spend some time together. Now, Richard and I were not t- necessarily very close growing up. We're eight years apart, and I was just a punk little brother. And I think I deserve that title. <laughs> but um, he has continued to step out of his comfort zone, and I want to give a lot of appreciation to Richard for, for doing this because it's not easy for him. But he has stepped out of his comfort zone, and he's offered me friendship and association that I had never had with him before. And I'm very, very grateful to him for that. And I'm grateful to have the chance to tell others um, and to express that publicly, so to speak. My next oldest brother, Ron, also an attorney in California, not a civil attorney, not a criminal attorney. He he um, practices contract law and mediation and other things. But he did recommend an attorney that helped me while I, through my process for the year that I was in jail in California. A man by the name of, excuse me, I was, I'm getting a little teary-eyed. A man by the name of Earl Carter. Now, the amazing thing about Earl is that he didn't act just as my attorney. But he and his associate, Sean, came to visit me, would counsel with me, would guide me through the process, will give me a, would give me a heads up about you know, what I could expect, how to conduct myself while I was incarcerated, what to say and what not to say, who to talk to, who not to talk to. Basically, Kevin, don't talk to anyone about your case. You know, I'm a blabbermouth. I'm a storyteller. I, if I had not been given good counsel in, many, in that way and many, many other ways, things may have gone totally different for me. But Earl and Sean were amazing, and because of the recommendation of my brother Ron. But beyond that, Ron would come to visit with me regularly. He made sure that I was cared for, taken care of, communicated with, that I felt connected to the family still. Um, since I've been out, Ron and, I, Ron and I have had the opportunity to spend time together and one thing that we did last spring that was very sweet, and we had not done for many, many years together, was we went snow skiing. And I just was so grateful to have that moment with him. Ron is one of the kindest, sweetest people I know, and he's generous of heart. And uh, he's the kind of guy that stays in touch with everybody. He still is best friends with people he was, went to school with when he was very, very young. He stays in touch, and He's that guy that will take care of you and, and uh, reach out and, and be in your corner. The reason I'm mentioning these people is because some of you that are watching this podcast know these people. <laughs> they know, you know what they're like and, and, and what their personalities are. But, but they've gone way out of their comfort zone to make sure that I'm okay. And that's why I call this podcast a call to action. Because we all have people in our lives that are in trouble. And we all have people in our lives that are causing trouble. And we all need to, to hear the good word. We need to hear some good things. There's a quote that I wanted to share with you today that um, made a lot of sense to me when I read it. It says if, if someone is falling behind in life, you don't have to remind them. Believe me, they already know. I I knew what trouble I was in. If someone is unhealthy, they know it. If someone is struggling in their relationships with money or with self-image, they know. It's what consumes their thoughts each day. What you need to do for those who are struggling is not reprimand, but encourage. Tell them what's good about their lives. Show them the potential that you see. Love them where they are. When When we can't see clearly for ourselves, we need others to speak greatness over us. And that's what thats what Ron has done for me. He's continually offered encouragement and words of greatness spoken over me. We have a mantra together, and I, I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. Onward and upward, the best is yet to come. Now, that mantra comes from a very poignant story that I will share later, at a later time. It comes out of tragedy, actually. But the idea that onward and upward, the best is yet to come is true. It's real. If we will respond to each other and take care of each other, there is a better that is yet to come. I don't want to be remiss and leave out my... uh, brother from another mother, Daryl Trost, who's been a dear and close friend, my brother Richard's best friend, but he was a voice of calm and reason and kept reminding me to just allow time to heal. My dear lifelong friend, Nancy, who I've mentioned, who was an angel in my life, Nancy Freiman, Ross Barron and Chris Lancaster, who went way out of their way to come visit me while I was still in Riverside, and not last and not, not least in any way, I need to once again express my gratitude to my sister, Kelly, and her husband, Lee Weatherby. In the end, it's really those two who have saved my life in more ways than I could express. Near the end of my probation in May of 2000, and, what would that be, two thousand? 18, I didn't have any money. (laughs) I had $9 in my bank account and didn't know where any other money was going to be coming from. I get a phone call from Lee, and he asked me, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing with yourself? And I said, well, I'm hitting golf balls and exercising or hiking or whatever and trying to move forward and wait to see what happens. He says, well, are you thinking about moving to Arizona? Now, it made sense that he would ask me that question because I have three adult children, two girls and a boy. My two oldest are Katie and Piper, my daughters, and they both live here in the Valley um, in Arizona. Katie lives in Mesa. Piper lives in Gilbert with their families, their husbands and children. So, of course, my my daughters and my grandkids lived here. So it made sense that he would ask me that question. So I said, yeah, I'm I'm seriously considering it. He says, well, I need your help. I need you to come help me. Will you come work with me? I said, said, yes, I will. What do you need me to do? He owns an auto repair shop. I don't know anything about fixing a car. All I know is to go get the wrong tool out of the toolbox so my dad could yell at me. (laughs) But, But Lee said, I need your help. Um helping me with some stuff at the shop, um, having to do specifically with bookkeeping and finances, et cetera. But he had, not, had another business venture that he needed some help with, and so he said, come help me. He says, do you have any money? <laughs> I said, no, I, I don't have any money. He said, well, let me send you $1,000. I'll wire you $1,000, and you can get started. He, could, he had some stuff that he, could, he needed me to do that I could get started to do remotely from California while I was still there. I can't tell you how much I wept because it just gave me hope. It showed me a light that could be at the end of the tunnel. The the stories go on and on. The opportunities and the responders, the first and second and remaining responders, have all come running. But I will say this, and I want to offer this as a word of warning. Not all responders will be kind some will be hurtful resentful angry bitter venomous vile they will say hard truths and in many cases they'll be justified as i said before those that are struggling do not need to be reminded of their of the weakness of their trouble or What pain they may have caused. What we all need is to have words of greatness spoken over us. This podcast is a call to action, and I pray that we can all move to action and be willing to enter that arena and care for one another with love and tenderness and kindness. I apologize for my emotions. I'm trying to keep it together. Let's please reach out to each other with love and kindness so that even a fall can be towards grace. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.